You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Good morning, everyone. We finally made it to February, which that means some, some more snowfall, but also it means that we're nearing the end of our sermon series in Colossians, which we've titled Completing Christ, for that is what we are, amen, Completing Christ. Uh, just as, as the letter has reminded us over and over again that through faith in Jesus Christ, who is the revelation and fullness of God, we can give thanks because As believers in him, we have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We have salvation and forgiveness of sin. We've been reconciled to God the Father, restored into his image. We're filled by the Spirit of God. We're equally united together in Christ, knit together in love. We're chosen and empowered for his glorious purpose as his ambassadors in this world. Furthermore, he's implanted his word and his peace in our hearts, and we're given an eternal inheritance of hope in eternal life in his kingdom. We, we lack nothing. We've been given everything. Praise the Lord. Right? Praise the Lord. And Paul's prayer at the beginning of this letter was for the Christian community in Colossae, and, and now for us today, to not only grasp all of this and, and to increase in our understanding of this joyous knowledge, again, that we're completing Christ, but, but to also have the capacity and power to now live that out to live it out so that, so that, as Paul says, we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work. And to that end, I, I want to emphasize for us this morning that the very fact that Paul communicated this to them in the form of a prayer, that he, he did this at the beginning of the letter, said, this is what I'm praying for you, and he says all these things, uh, it shows us that it's not just this, a statement or, or, or a commandment, but it truly shows us that he recognizes and believes that the only way anyone can live out a life that's worthy to the Lord is with prayer, by drawing on the grace and power of the Lord. We need to be people of prayer. In fact, last week, uh, Pastor Blair, he did a fantastic job of taking us through Paul's practical applications of how we can live for Christ in our everyday lives uh, as, as wives, as husbands, as children, as parents, even as slaves and, and masters. Basically, he says that, that no matter our station or our role in life, we're all called to, to submit and to serve each other with self-giving love from the disposition and knowledge that we're ultimately serving the Lord. And, and before that, Paul also told us what that looks like in the passage before that. He says we need to be treating each other with compassion, humility, meekness, patience, kindness, forbearance, forgiving each other, building unity and peace while teaching and admonishing one another in the word and in worship, while giving thanks, and of course, loving one another as Christ has loved us. What a a beautiful picture, right? But at the same time, that's a tall order. It it all sounds great, but yeah, when when you you put it all together like that, doesn't it feel kind of insurmountable to live our lives that way? 
How many people could live their lives according to all those standards in their own strength? Put up your hand. Yeah, nobody, right? Thank you for all being honest. The good news is that we're not meant to. We're not meant to. In fact, following Jesus isn't about completing a list of of legalistic demands. It's about living in and from a relationship with the triune God who himself lives in a loving, self-giving relationship. We're invited into that. We're, we're, We're invited to be empowered by his spirit. We're invited to be led by his word, which is written in our hearts. And we're invited to allow the Father to accomplish his good work and will in and through us. Jesus even said, if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. We're meant to be in communion with God. That's what it means to, to, to bear his image, to, to walk in his image, to be in communion with God, drawing on his word and his glorious might. That's, and that's the only way that we can live a life that's pleasing to him. Uh, Martin Luther once wrote, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. I, I should just end my sermon there. Like... <laughs> And so even the Apostle Paul himself knows this. And so while he's, he's already been encouraging the believers in Colossae by telling them that he's been praying for them, he now encourages them to pray for themselves as well. And not only that, but he also requests that they pray for him and for his co-workers in Christ too. For he knows that he needs prayer just as much as they do. We, we all do. And that's the point. So let's, let's read that. Colossians 4, 2-4. This is where we find ourselves in the letter to the Colossians. Colossians 4, verses 2 to 4. Paul says, Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. This is the word of the Lord. Back when I used to pick up my kids from elementary school, I started to notice that when um, one of them got in the car and, and I asked, you know, how, how was your day at school? He'd only tell me about some negative thing that happened. He'd all be like, you know, Billy hit me in the face with a dodgeball or someone stole my pencil or whatever, right? And, and, um, you know, things that definitely sucked. Like, that's a bummer, right? But um, be a downer for any kid. But over time, after, after hearing reports from him like this after school almost every day that I picked him up, I began to get the impression that, you know, every day of, of school must, must be a nightmare for him. And, and I was becoming concerned. But after some investigation and further discussion with him and his teachers, Audrey and I found out that there were actually a lot of positive and, and awesome things happening throughout his, his day at school. But because he had this tendency to, to dwell on that one negative thing, we often never heard about the good things. And even more concerning for us is that because he was just dwelling on that one negative thing, he would always think or feel like he was having the worst day as well. So I changed the rules. And I'm not sure how I came up with this, really, by the grace of God. But, but one day I decided, when, when I picked him up, from school and I asked how his day was, I changed the rule and I said, from now on, you have to tell me three good things 
that happened to you at school before you can tell me any negative things. And don't get me wrong, it's not, it's not that I didn't care about the bad things that, that happened to him. I absolutely did, and we still address those with love and compassion. But, but ultimately, I wanted to, to train his mind to start dwelling on what was good and positive, the things that he could be thankful for and happy about, rather than the negative things that, that were just completely ruining his whole day. And, and for the most part, it worked. Quite often when he was done telling me about the three good things that happened at school, you know, I got a good grade, I scored a goal in gym or whatever, right? We'd get to the part where he'd tell me about whatever negative thing happened, and it wouldn't seem like that big of a deal for him anymore. His whole outlook began to change just because he began dwelling on, on what was good and fun rather than what was bleak. And, and in our message this morning, the Apostle Paul again He's been doing this throughout his whole letter. He again reminds us that this is how we're to approach our Father in heaven whenever we come before him in prayer with an attitude of thanksgiving. But let's not misunderstand. Does God care about our anxiety and our struggles and our temptations and the difficult things we're going through in this life? Can he handle our complaints and our questions and our requests? Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely, and he cares about those things, deeply cares about those things. We're his children. But like my son discovered, when we come before our father with hearts full of thanksgiving for who he is, for what he's done for us at the cross, for what he's doing in and through us, for providing our daily bread, for our salvation, for our new life in Christ, for his new morning mercies, and the list goes on. Like if we come before him with the same outlook of Psalm 147, that was read a few minutes ago then what happens in, in, in our minds, in our, in our hearts, in our spirit? Suddenly all of our, our problems pale in comparison as, as we gaze upon and are reminded of who he is and how much he loves us and how much he cares for us. When we choose to give thanks, as it says in Philippians, the peace of God will be with us and will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. In fact, let, let's just read that, that Philippians passage in full. Philippians 4, 6 to 9. I'm going to read it in two parts here. Philippians 4, 6 to 9 says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So let's stop there. So, so, so again, when we come before the Lord with our prayer requests, you know, even as silly as we might think they are sometimes, these are requests that God cares about. But yet we're also reminded to present those requests with thanksgiving, to come before the Lord with thanksgiving. Why? Again, because gratitude not only keeps us humble as, as we acknowledge that all we have is from him, and we're, we're not entitled, right? But, but it also reminds us of how much we already have, that hum- how much he's already given us, and most importantly, how much more awesome and mighty God is compared to our problems. When we give thanks, we're reminded that our Father is a giver of good gifts. He's given so much. Why, why would he just suddenly stop now? So it gives us, it gives us a per- perspective change. It gives us hope. It helps us to trust. And, and speaking of a perspective change, the passage continues in that matter. By saying this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, 
if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. What are we, what are we dwelling on? What are we dwelling on? Because again, what we dwell on changes our whole outlook. And the, and the wonderful thing, one of the wonderful things about, about prayer is that, is that it's one of the primary ways in which God invites us through the name of Jesus to, to take our eyes off of all those things in, in, in the world and in our lives that, that might feel overwhelming or on the flip side that might make us feel prideful and instead calls us to just dwell on him. Which is what it really means to think about what is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. That's, that's dwelling on Jesus. And of course, as, as we dwell on him and we give thought to the grace and hope that we have, then, then all our struggles and our frustrations become, as, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, like light and momentary afflictions. It's, it's, it's crazy, though, how much our, our current problems or, or our worries in our lives can, can consume us and, and almost make us feel like the world is ending sometimes, right? Until, until we find ourselves in the presence of the one who both created and sustains the world. And we realize how small those things really are and how secure we are in the hands of God. Furthermore, prayer gives us an opportunity to surrender all of those struggles and, and, and especially our guilt and shame over sin or, or the things that are weighing us down or the things that are freaking us out or making us angry or tempting us. We can, we can put all those things at his feet and just rest in his comforting, merciful, and faithful hands. Ultimately, when, when we sit in our proverbial prayer closets, what we're doing is, is, again, answering that gracious invitation to find comfort and rest in his presence and peace. We're giving God a chance to remind us that, that he's faithful and that everything good and perfect comes from him. It's allowing the Spirit to help us recognize that, yes, even, even though life has its downs, there's so much more to be thankful for, namely that Jesus has already won that he's with us in the midst of whatever we're going through, and that he's bigger than all of it. On that end, it's, it's odd, really, that quite often we tend to treat prayer as a chore because it's one of the most amazing gifts that God has given us. E.M. Bounds wrote, prayer should not be regarded as a duty which must be performed, but rather as a privilege to be enjoyed. A rare delight that is always revealing some new beauty. Privilege to be enjoyed, a rare delight. To, to get to come before the Lord, our God, in the name of Jesus Christ, is incredible. The fact that God wants to hear from us and that he cares about us and that he wants to speak with us is, is a unique and wonderful privilege. And 
And again, it's the only way that, that we can live out the life we've been created to live. So I, I always wonder, and, and I'm speaking to myself too, why do we so often neglect coming before the Lord in prayer? Or when we do, why do we so often do it without giving thanks? Quite often prayer is the last thing we try, you know? It's like, I guess I, guess I have to pray now. Nothing else worked, you know? What are we thinking? Charles Spurgeon writes, true prayer is, is neither a mere mental exercise nor a vocal performance. It is far deeper than that. It is spiritual transaction with the creator of heaven and earth. What? Like, when we pray, we're in conversation with the God of the universe, and he hears our prayers. He wants to hear our prayers. As his word reminds us of over and over, scripture tells us, tells us that when we pray, we're communing with him, that he hears and responds to the prayers of the righteous, to the destitute, to his children, and that, he, and that he's near to all those who call on him. What a gift of grace that we've been given in prayer. And the best thing is, is that God isn't looking for a perfect prayer. He's not looking for some award-winning, linguistically formed incantation before he listens to us. In fact, the whole point of prayer is the, is the opposite of performance, as, as Jesus taught us in his Sermon on the Mount. Rather, at its root, it's, it's an opportunity to, to simply speak to God, to tell him where we're at to dwell on and, and converse with the God of the universe so that he can speak into our lives. Sometimes when, when I'm feeling upset or, or discouraged or uncertain or overwhelmed, which, I'll be honest, happens more than I'd like in ministry. Anyways, when I'm feeling like that, I'll, I'll, I'll go for a, a walk or, or find some quiet place where I can just be in solitude with God, and then, and then I'll open my mouth to speak. And sometimes in those moments, I'll, I'll find that I, I actually don't really have the words to express what I'm feeling or what I'm going through or, or what I need. And so instead, with the, with the Spirit's prompting, I'll just start to give thanks for who He is. I'll just start to give thanks for the promises that He's spoken to us in his word. And without fail, I find that this simple way of praying drastically changes everything. My whole, my whole attitude, his peace and, and assurance washes over me like a flood. Whatever I was struggling with ends up feeling small and, and no longer insurmountable <clears throat> in comparison to his goodness and in the reality of his faithfulness and ability to, to work out all things for the good of those who love him, which, which I've seen happen over and over and over again. And I'm not making this up. There have been some pretty significant moments in my life, especially over the last 14 years in, in ministry, when, when sitting in the, in, just sitting in the presence of God in prayer like that has not only changed my, my outlook and, and, and given me peace beyond understanding, but, but has also been the space by which the Lord was able to reaffirm my calling, give me deeper trust in his will and, 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 and my ability to, to do the work he's called me to do, and, and provided me with the strength and, compa and capacity to persevere through whatever circumstance was going on. And, and I'll be vulnerable, because I think as Christians we should be vulnerable, 
We should be open to what, what's going on with each other so that we can pray for each other, which we'll talk about in a moment. But I'll be, I'll be vulnerable. One of those moments in particular, about eight years ago now, I actually had all my personal belongings packed up in my office. I was ready to peace out. I won't tell you why, because it doesn't matter anymore. What I'm saying is, would I be here right now, preaching on the stage this morning, if I hadn't come to the Lord in prayer with my requests, but also with that heart of thanksgiving in that incredibly difficult moment? If I'd have chosen instead to just barely dwell on, on what was negative or hurtful or, or insurmountable in light of my own strength or understanding, rather than choose to dwell on who he is and what he's able to do, would I be here? No, I wouldn't. So again, spending time in prayer is so important for us as believers to live the life we've been called and created to live. It's impossible and it's insurmountable without it. Not only in those difficult times, but, it, but in every season. Even when, when, when good things are happening, we should be praying and, and giving thanks for those good things and acknowledging him in those things. Right? It's, it's integral. It's integral that we spend time alone in prayer in thanksgiving with God and also that we're praying and interceding for others. Pastor Blair was modeling that earlier with a community prayer. To that effect, and, and uh, just as the, the Apostle Paul requests of the Church of Colossae in this passage, I would, I would ask that you keep myself and Pastor Blair and Pastor Brad and Dr. Jay and Lizzie in India and the elders and the board and, and the volunteers and volunteer leaders in youth group and in Kidsgate in your prayers. Please pray for us. We need, we need prayer. We cannot live out this calling or do this shepherding work effectively or with any longevity or even bear good fruit without it. What I find encouraging and inspiring from Paul's prayer requests in, in this passage is that he doesn't ask for them to pray for his release from prison. He never once asks for that. He's, he's in a Roman prison right now and while well, he's writing that letter. In fact, his most joyful letter, Philippians, also in prison. He doesn't pray for his circumstance to change or anything like that. In fact, with his focus on God, with that heart of thanksgiving, he's actually able to see his chains for the gospel as a means to accomplish his calling in Christ. And instead, he asks them to, to, to pray that doors would open for him. Again, he's not referring to the door in his jail cell, but rather for opportunities to, to share the gospel of Christ in the midst of his circumstance. And, and even more, that, that he'd be able to proclaim it clearly and effectively. That was his priority. And, and it should be ours as well we come before the Lord. And so I, I would ask, again, I would ask the same of, of all of you when, when you pray for me, when you pray for other ministry leaders, and even when you pray for each other as ambassadors of Christ in your workplaces, in your homes, in, in your schools, I ask that this would be your prayer, that we be given the opportunities, that doors would open 
for us, that we would be given the strength, wisdom, and perseverance to share the good news of Jesus' saving grace and his kingdom come to the lost, and that we'd be able to do it clearly and effectively. Ultimately, that we'd be open and ready to follow the Spirit's leading in accomplishing his mission as Jesus' disciples on earth. Accomplishing his mission. His mission. And really, this is also one of the key purposes of prayer as well. Prayer is an invitation to enter into what God's doing. It's an invitation to enter into what God's doing. Where we can give attention to his leading and and surrender ourselves to his will. In contrast to that, I'd say, I'd say, quite often, we probably approach prayer as a way to ask God to do our selfish bidding, right? Like, I'm a Canucks fan. It's probably slipped out a few times. Like, just let them win the Stanley Cup, come on. Right? God just laughs. I don't care about that. <laughs> but yes, it, Jesus does say that the Father will give, give us whatever we ask in faith. Right? But, but James's letter clarifies for us, you know, that, that if we ask with wrong or selfish motives, we're asking for the wrong things. Right? The reality, though, is that, that someone who's abiding in Christ will desire what Jesus desires. In other words, we, in other words, we won't just ask for anything. We'll ask for what Jesus desires. We'll, we'll ask for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. 1 John 5.14 says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything, he will hear us. Oh, wait, there's something there. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Right? The purpose of prayer isn't to change God or, or coerce him into doing our, our bidding. The purpose of prayer is an opportunity of faith to humbly and confidently enter into God's perfect will, to take part in his process, trusting that whatever God has planned is better than our plans. And they are. This is why Paul tells the Colossians to stay alert or be watchful in prayer. Of course, staying alert could certainly mean being aware of and and defending against spiritual attacks and temptations and and all those things and stuff like that, absolutely, which is certainly a purpose of prayer as well. But I think I would argue that in this instance, within the context of the letter and what he's been talking about, I think being prayerfully alert is actually referring to to paying attention to to the needs of others and, and to the Spirit's leading as we kneel before him. It's a reminder to take time as we pray to not only present our requests and our our concerns and joys before him, but to also listen and have ears to hear, to be alert, to allow the, the Lord to fill our hearts with thanksgiving and peace so that he can invite us into his purpose and his ways, which again are higher and better than anything we could conjure up or ask for ourselves. I love that we sang that earlier. Again, prayer isn't, isn't meant to be a way for us to convince God to change or to do our bidding. Rather, it's always a means by which God is able to change us and lead us and give us supernatural perspective, wisdom, and peace and strength to do his bidding. 
Ultimately, prayer is a way for us to submit to God so that he can powerfully work his glorious will and purpose in and through us. As Elizabeth Elliot writes, prayer lays hold of God's plan and becomes the link between his will and its accomplishment on earth. Amazing things happen, and we are given the privilege of being the channels of the Holy Spirit's prayer. Mother Teresa agrees when when she writes, prayer is putting oneself in the hands of God at his disposition and listening to his voice in the depths of our hearts. This is precisely how Jesus taught us to pray as well during, during the Sermon on the Mount. As we come before the Father in in prayer and acknowledge his holiness and his heavenly station, the only thing, you know, the only thing that we could possibly muster at that point is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As Jesus himself prayed to the Father, not my will but yours be done. So hopefully by now we can see how how significant, how advantageous, and how indispensable prayer is in the life of a Christian and in the body of Christ. We cannot live a life pleasing to him without it. In fact, prayer was so important for the prophet Daniel. I always think about this. So important for the prophet Daniel that in 70 years of serving in Babylon... And Babylon is quite often used as as the city to describe the opposite, what's the opposite of the kingdom of God. Yet he was able to serve for 70 years as a civil servant, honoring God, but also serving faithfully to the king of Babylon. And the only time he refused to follow the law was when they told him to stop praying. And that was a setup, because some guys didn't like Daniel. The only time he refused to break the law was when they told him to stop praying. That's how important prayer is. And I'm confident that this is why Paul begins this particular statement in his letter by telling them to devote themselves to prayer. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. And that word devote means exactly what it sounds like. Be devoted. <laughs> Be steadfast, consistent, earnest, faithful, adherent, and mighty in prayer. To pray at all times and in all ways. In 1 Chronicles 16, we're also told to look to the Lord and seek his strength and his face always. In Thessalonians, we're told to pray without ceasing while giving thanks. In Philippians, we're invited to pray in every situation with thanksgiving. In Romans, we're encouraged to be faithful in prayer. And in James, we're told to pray when we're in trouble or when we need healing or when we need to confess our sins. And of course, to also pray when we're happy. We're called to pray when we're alone and we're called to pray with others. And Jesus, who himself modeled a life of consistent prayer and dependence on the Father, even told his disciples a parable about a woman who just repeatedly annoyed her unrighteous neighbor until he finally gave into her request. And he told them this parable as an encouragement for them to pray always without giving up. Because if an unrighteous guy would give into persistence, surely our good and righteous father who loves us will listen and respond to us. The point is this, as Christians, we should be a people of prayer as the new temple of the living God, 
we should be a house of prayer. I was thinking about that statement this week, and where did Jesus turn the money tables over? In the temple. In the temple. We are the temple. What, what in our life does Jesus need to turn over so that we can become a people of prayer, a house of prayer? Again, this isn't a legalistic demand that Paul's placing on us here. It's, it's an invitation to dwell on and commune with the, with the creator and Lord of the universe precisely so that we can find rest, peace, perseverance, and ultimately the power to live out the life we've been saved and redeemed by Jesus Christ to live. And in fact, Jesus Christ is our sole confidence in our prayer because he, like a priest in, in the Jewish temple, he sits at the right hand of God, and he perpetually intermediates our transaction with God the Father. In fact, through Christ's death and resurrection, he has reconciled us to the Father. He removed the power of sin and death that was separating us, and, and so that now, by faith in his name, we can come before the Father as his adopted children, sealed by his Spirit. We have that confidence. As, as Timothy Keller often said, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 o'clock a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. We have that kind of access as God's children. And this is also what we're encouraged to do in, in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 which says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need.